it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. To the latest edition of the Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague from the Athletic, Stuart Mandel. Stu, we had a big top five upset, which this didn't feel like that much of an upset, uh, and we'll get to that in a bit. I mean, if it's Purdue hosting a top five team, you might as well just go ahead and pick Purdue, as I did. Yeah, look, I mean, especially when it's a team that just came off a huge win, so there was, you know, reading into the emotional letdown. Um, so we'll get to Jeff Brom and his program and, and work on some magic again. A lot of interesting stuff happened yesterday, I thought. What what caught your eye and what what stood out to you the most now that we're, you know, the morning after? It felt like, and I hate that it becomes a beauty contest by this point in the season, but it felt like if you were somebody who who already believed, oh, I can't believe the committee has Alabama number two. Uh, what about that AM loss? They almost lost to LSU. Uh, and and I think we can admit that, you know, it's not like Alabama is some juggernaut force this year. They had, they're very flawed. They came close to losing to Florida as well. That being said, what else happened yesterday? Ohio State's once unstoppable offense can't run the ball uh, against, couldn't against Penn State. They can't against Nebraska. Um, you know, Oregon pretty much handled Washington, but it wasn't, you know, you talk about style points, they're not a style points team. And then, of course, the, the, the team that's of the most um, the most polarizing, I guess, Cincinnati, uh, that they were very fortunate that Tulsa did not take that game to overtime. I've never seen a quarterback try to slide into the end zone as Tulsa's quarterback did. And so given the committee was already down on them for the um, underwhelming performances against Navy and Tulane, uh, struggling to beat Tulsa is not going to help their cause either. So it's just kind of... I saw somebody on Twitter say, you know, it's number one, Georgia, and then number two, meh, number three, meh, number four, meh. That's kind of how I feel about the state of uh, the landscape right now. Uh, same. Now, look, I, I get it. You're, I feel like you're dinging Cincinnati because of Tulsa, and they've had, obviously, they do not, outside of the Notre Dame win, and then you can have UCF. They do not have a, a resume to speak of. The, the problem I have a little bit was I watched that LSU Alabama game and for Alabama to only rush six yards against a team that's down three starting D linemen in their whole secondary and the games at home, that was really kind of jarring to see that. I mean, you said that they, that uh, Cincinnati was lucky the game didn't go overtime. Alabama's lucky that uh, on the long run that Ty Davis-Price has, he doesn't score. If he does, they're down one point, and I didn't have that much confidence that Alabama was going to be able to score. You know, And it's like, again, you look back, and, and they barely beat Florida. Now we know how terrible Florida is. And look, we'll get, get to the Gators in a second. But right now, I think they have one, one very good win. It was a dominant win against Ole Miss. 
And then I'm not sure what's that great. You know, it's like five and four Tennessee, five and four Mississippi State, five and four Miami. Um, you know, you're, they're sitting there number two, and they're really sitting there on the strength of what I think are two things. One, they whipped Ole Miss. Again, that's not bad. That's a, that's a good win. And the other thing, which is the kind of the, the elephant in the room is Nick Saban's won way more national titles than anybody else. And his program has earned the benefit of the doubt. But again, I think if you're looking at this in a vacuum, you know, I watched all the Nebraska, Ohio state game, uh, Ohio state's defense isn't very good. It's, it's probably better than it was when Oregon played them, but it's still not very good. And uh, I'm going to beg to they're not very that. good, Stu. I'm sorry. You can beg all you want. They're not Ohio state has gotten a lot. Ohio State has gotten a lot better on defense and gotten worse on offense. Awful on defense against Oregon. They're still not very good on defense. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Take a guess what Ohio State is ranked in the country in defense. Uh, 48th. 21st. Who have they played after Oregon? Please tell me. Uh, I mean, I guess, you know, because you're going to, you can rattle off. Listen. You can rattle off a bunch of great defensive stats in the Big Ten. Let's be honest. I mean, there's a cluster. Where do they rank in the Big Ten relative to the rest of that group? They rank fifth, sixth, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. That's not like, and they play. I'm just saying, relatively speaking, I mean, this is kind of where we're not at. very like, good. You're We're holding still- all these teams to a standard that none of them could meet this year. You're you're hoping no, you're I, thinking, you know what I think's going on? We got a little bit spoiled because we had a couple of seasons with some super teams. You know, I think of the 2019 season when at this point in the year we were debating who should be the number one uh seed. And the three choices were Joe Burrow, LSU, Justin Fields, Ohio State, and Trevor Lawrence Clemson. Those teams don't exist. This all year. I am They're saying all flawed Stu, in some here, way. All I am saying is. I don't think Ohio State's defense is very good. Here's why I say that. So here's what they've, after they made the change and Kerry Coombs is no longer the play caller on defense, they played Tulsa. Tulsa's not that good. They give up 500 yards. Then they played Akron. Akron is awful. They played Rutgers. Rutgers is pretty mediocre. They played a Maryland team that was down two receivers. Then they played Indiana. They, they dominated Indiana, but we know Indiana's struggling. Penn State, 400 yards last week. Nebraska, this is not obviously a great Nebraska team. They're probably going to be three and nine. Um, they had their hands full with Nebraska. So that's why I want to say I would like pump the brakes on. Well, this is, I, I think it's a more of a question that you hit it earlier is how good is the Ohio State offensive line? My Fox colleagues had noted that it's like, hey, you have maybe it's four, maybe they're getting their best five linemen, but it's like right now it's like four offensive tackles and a guard four offensive tackles in a center. And maybe that's why they struggle uh, as much as they have been certainly in the red zone. And that's, that's been one of the issues. Um, yeah. I was just surprised you were fixated on their defense when to me that the, well, cause I just the, think you were, you just kind of like waved your hand, like, okay, they've got it all fixed. And I'm like, I don't no, think I don't they've think got it all fixed, but they have gotten a lot better. I'm more concerned about Ohio state, which at one point when they were playing the dregs, right. The Rutgers, the Maryland's was scoring touchdowns at will has played two pretty good defenses the last two weeks. Nebraska does have a good defense and scored four touchdowns on 27 possessions. Their kicker has had, has made, he's been the MVP. He's made eight field goals over the last two weeks. They get into the red zone and then they bog down and, and you're probably right. 
that it's about the offensive line. So look, we started out crapping on Alabama, who I also think their offensive line is a mess. Now we're crapping on Ohio State. So when you say, oh, I think Alabama, you know, there's no way they should be number two. Who do you put there instead? Instead of them? Honestly, I would put Cincinnati. I get it. They have not looked great. They haven't lost either. Like I would look at it and say, okay, you have Oklahoma. They haven't honestly looked great either. They had, you know, the, a couple of clunkers. They barely beat Tulane. They barely beat Kansas. Um, you know, they had to make a frantic comeback to beat a Texas team that's now four and five. It's, it's, you know, everybody is pretty flawed. I guess the issue I have is, you know, you're going to, you're going to kind of gong Cincinnati, but I feel like you're giving a pass to all these other teams who are playing like right now, Ohio state, the teams, if you look at what they have, and I don't want to keep banging on Ohio state, but I feel like over the last six weeks, since that Oregon game, I mean, Penn state, I think is a good team. And that was a close game, but they won that. But after that, it's like Nebraska. They're nowhere near a bowl team. Indiana, nowhere near a bowl team. Maryland's going to scuffle to get bowl eligible. Same with Rutgers. Akron's awful. I mean, I think they're going to prove themselves down the stretch. But And this is where we kind of differ on things. I am definitely more of like what, what has happened as opposed to what I think will happen. And so that's why I would like – I don't get why – Ohio State was ranked above Cincinnati based on what they've done so far. You want to do that in you know two weeks from now? Sure. But let's wait and hold off and see if they kind of hold up their end of it. So I wouldn't have a problem with Cincinnati at number two. I think that if you want to say they've gone undefeated and they have a top 10 win, so they let's let's just on the give road. Them, yeah, on the let's road. give them number two because they they deserve it. Um, you know, I get that rationale but they're mm-hmm. supposed to pick the four best teams. And I think at some point, like, I, I don't think it's fair to hold these teams, these group of five teams to, they have to beat everybody 52 to three, but we're talking three straight weeks now, where if you're saying this is one of the four best teams in the country, they're not really offering evidence to support that. I also don't understand why you're equating like, yeah, that's not a great LSU team and Alabama almost lost to them. But why, how is that? Like, you can't honestly tell me that be, having a scare against LSU is the same thing as having a scare against Tulsa. The LSU is ranked 26th in the Sagarin rankings. Tulsa is ranked 99th. Tulane. I don't give a fuck about the Stu. I don't give a fuck about the Sagarin rankings. Well, how about just common sense? Let's use the common sense ratings. Is where do you think L? What's the difference between having a scare against LSU and the scare against Tulsa? Like if Alabama had 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 to stop a two point conversion to beat Tulsa, yeah. We would raise the alarms. We would j- drop them like, a, like, you know, but because it's a, uh, you know, because it's Cincinnati. All uh, I'm saying, Stu, is right now, Alabama is number two. And the committee basically said it was a clear number two. And that's fine. I, if you ask me who would I bet in a game? Now, that's not what I would consider should be the criteria of this. But if, who would I bet on? I would bet on Alabama. I might even bet on Alabama over Georgia. But you know what? I would probably be proven wrong on that. Here's the thing is like right now, I feel like if, if you just say, which is a better win beating Ole Miss or beating Notre Dame on at home, um, I would say beating Notre Dame is, is right now is, is more impressive to me. Now, obviously UCF is six and three. They, by the way, they did blow out UCF. Well, we should at least give them that. Um, you know, Alabama has, some pretty, you know, some pretty good wins over five and four teams. 
But I think at this point, you know, they do have a loss. Cincinnati doesn't. I mean, like you have two really close losses, close wins over, uh, you know, over obviously Florida and LSU. Neither of those teams are particularly good right now. I mean, I don't think it's a slam dunk that they should be number two over Cincinnati. I don't, I don't think at this point, I would go with the team that's undefeated at this point. I think they're number two by default or, or uh, by, by lack of a better option. You know, I think if Cincinnati were, were blowing these teams out, then they should, they should certainly be higher than number six. If that's what they were doing. If we're sitting here talking about number two, the committee didn't even think they should be in the top five last week. I assume they will move up one spot with Michigan state losing, but it's clear that they are, um, it almost I mean, doesn't matter because, you know, Oklahoma's sitting back there. They're undefeated. And I, if the- but look what the committee does on this stuff. I mean, we have a week of distance now. So, you know, the committee clearly kind of inserted a Minnesota Ugh. team that had lost by lost to Bowling Green. And that that's certainly, I think, to prop up Ohio State and the other Big Ten teams because they stuck them in there at 20. What happens the next week? They can't even score seven points. You know, they lose to a Illinois team, tw- oh, what, 12 to six at home, you know, like I think, and the, then you have Mississippi state in there. It's like, I feel like they're giving some of these teams so much of the benefit of the doubt on this part. I think that first of all, the two most egregious rankings last week were Minnesota and Mississippi state. And they both lost, although Mississippi states is a little more understandable, but that's their fourth loss. Um, I think that, you know, they're, I think what people don't necessarily, I think we, you know, we have a lot of, look, we love Cinderella stories. Like we want the Cinderella to, to, to be taken more seriously. And Cincinnati's had the best case of any of these group of five teams so far in particular because of that Notre Dame win, but it's not as, uh, I mean, if you go and look at the document that was written in 2014 of what the committee is supposed to do, it is all about strength of schedule. And so what looks to everybody as they're screwing the group of five is really just they're they're upholding what they're supposed to do and evaluate on strength of schedule. And you just Cincinnati does not have the strength of schedule that Alabama, Ohio State, et cetera, have. The fact that they left UTSA out completely last week, which, I, by the way, they better be in there this week after beating UTEP is entirely because a conference USA schedule is about as bad as it gets. So um, if you're Cincinnati, you're stuck with the fact you can't control that. You can't control your conference schedule. What you can control, and I hate that it's this, but it is, is style points and beating these teams up. And they didn't, you know, this is this was their week. Game day came to town. I thought they were going to go out and, and, and destroy Tulsa uh, with all the uh, you know, disrespect by the committee and the attention from game day. And instead it came right down to the wire. So I, I do think they can get in there. Like, I don't think their path to the playoff is impossible, especially after Wake Forest lost Jeff Chase. So the ACC is now out um, Oregon, which uh, had a nice win against Washington. If they lose and they're probably gonna have to play Utah twice and Utah is pretty good, you know, suddenly the, the number of teams that can keep Cincinnati out is starting to dwindle. Would think. Um, I'll believe it when I see it, honestly, at this point. Yeah, me too. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second. But now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So post your job for free at linkedin.com audible. That's linkedin.com audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I feel like it's been the, the Florida show on this podcast recently, uh, but they just keep reaching new lows. Um, you know, you guys had, you and Alan had that article, Alan Taylor, with the anonymous coaches um, from the SEC on why Florida has fallen as far as it has. But, and I think we talked on here about, well, is there any possibility he would actually get fired? And the thought was, not if they go eight and four, not if they went out and they should win out. Well, not only did they not win out, they got embarrassed by a bad South Carolina team who was using its third string quarterback. It was 30 to 10 at halftime. The final score was 40 to 17. And I've now totally flipped from Scott Strickland's not going to fire Dan Mullen the year after they went to the SEC championship game to, I don't see how he comes back from this. Yeah, I don't see how he can either. I mean, my whole thing, and I wrote as much on the, you know, on the hot seat stories I, I did last week was, you know, he won't be able to do anything with these last four games to convince people around Florida that this is going great or to get people to win people over. But barring a loss, and I actually thought the most likely case would be they could lose to Florida State. Um now, if all bets are off if he loses a game. What I didn't think would happen was they would play their next game and get blown off the field by South Carolina, a South Carolina team that really struggled with Vandy and has had its hands full, and they you know, get absolutely dominated. At this point, and it was interesting, like before that game was over, I had a coach in the SEC text me basically that I told you. This was what I told you about Florida. And it was the, the exact coach who kind of was the impetus behind that story because we were talking about something else in our recruiting confidential. We started talking about Georgia and how they play, and then it kind of worked its way to Florida. And then he pointed out a lot of these issues about 
just a lack of accountability and it's a soft team and it's an undisciplined team and all those things are coming out. And I think what is the issue really now for Scott Strickland, and obviously this was his guy because he had him at Mississippi State and he brought him over to Florida. Their class is ranked ninth among SEC programs in recruiting. We're about a month away from the early signing period. If you keep Dan Mullen and you have all intentions of doing that, and you just say, all right, we're going to fire Todd Grantham, the defense coordinator. We're going to fire the offensive line coach. I don't think that's going to convince a lot of recruits on the fence. Hey, this guy's going to be here past 2020, uh, going into 2022 for another year. I think it's like basically he comes into the year on the hottest seat possible. The, the hard part is if they wait too much longer to pull the plug, then you basically have dead man walking and you're going to kind of mortgage the whole early signing period. So whatever you do have, you're probably going to probably going to lose and you're really going to be behind the eight ball. So the timing on this is really tricky, I think, in Gainesville. But after that, where it looked like the team just, you know, just was checked out, I don't know how they um, how they go forward much longer with them. No, they can't. It would be if he brought him back next year, it would be like when USC brought back Clay Helton and he would just live in this perpetual state of the fans. You know, they might start actively rooting against him and all that. And this is the SEC. They don't do that. They just cut ties. I was thinking well, during the game last night about it, it, when it looked like LSU might win. I was thinking, man, I think the wrong coach from the Florida LSU game got fired. Um, yeah. I, I think mean, you, in the last year, they're now four and eight. Yeah. And they've lost. And I believe only two they, of those are against power five teams. Yes, that is true. Um, so two and eight against the power five. And they've lost games as a 24 and a half point favorite, an 18 point favorite and a 10 and a half point favorite. That's 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 insane to pack that in, in just one year. I think the challenge is going to be, you know, this is already a absolutely flooded coaching carousel. You're going to be competing against USC and LSU. And who else? And you know, some other job. I mean, I don't think it's starting to look like Manny Diaz can keep his job. But you know, if Miami had come open, that would be a big one. Nebraska will probably come open. Or I don't say probably. Probably might, might come it open. Might. Um, and out of those three, USC, LSU, and Florida, Florida probably to me, if I'm a coach, is the least desirable of the three. Which may sound strange because it's in the state of Florida and it's got a ninety thousand seat stadium and a history of winning national titles. But basically they have had two coaches in their entire history, Steve Spurrier and Urban Meyer, who won big and, and will be in the hall of fame and everybody else, especially since I've been covering the sport just flames out. And, but they are expected to be Steve Spurrier, or Urban Meyer. So whoever replaces Dan Mullen will come in knowing that if I'm not Steve Spurrier, or Urban Meyer, I'm probably going to fire within four years. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think my guess is there may be one or two candidates who wouldn't be candidates realistically at U, USC or LSU that I think could be good options for them. Um, but we'll see, you know, like if I was Scott Strickland, I would I would be looking really hard at Billy Napier. You know, he's done a very good job at, at Louisiana. He knows the SEC well. He's not going to be the guy I don't think USC is going to look at. I'd be surprised if LSU would hire him. That doesn't seem like Scott Strickland. I'm sorry. It doesn't seem like Scott Woodward would make that move. If I was Billy Napier, 
I'd be like, that's a big job. I would be tempted by it. Um, I don't know if they could get Dan Quinn from the NFL. He obviously has his ties down there. I think he's a guy a lot of people would be really interested in if he if he uh, was open to that. But again, we're not we're a month away from the early signing period, and this is things are going to get pretty hectic as they as they already honestly are in the coaching carousel. All right, Stu, moving on. I do want to touch on this because you know we, we usually only talk about Notre Dame at this point in the context of Cincinnati. Notre Dame sitting there at number ten. They blew out Navy. This isn't one of the better Navy teams. Um, but when you look at the rest of their schedule at UVA, Georgia Tech, at Stanford, you and I talked about how awful Stanford is right now. They're eight and one. They don't have, they don't have a conference title game. They have any shot realistically of being a playoff team? I don't think so. And this is where being an independent kind of works against them because they make, you know, they basically play a new schedule every year except for a couple, uh, you know, Navy, USC. Stanford and it's just complete luck of the draw, whether those teams turn out to be good that year or not. I'm sure when they scheduled Florida state, there was a thought that that would be a marquee game. Clearly it was not. Now Wisconsin is turning out to be uh, better than we thought they would be. And That'll Purdue up, is turning out to be better. That'll end up being a top 25 win. That's true. Purdue will probably be ranked as well. So, you know, they have, so it's not like they're going to go over on top 25 wins necessarily, but be. I mean, I just think that as an independent, they have to, they're going to have to go undefeated. Um, last year, they made it with one loss because they beat Clemson during the season. So losing to them in the conference title game kind of countered it. Um, it's hard for me to see them making it as an 11 and one team unless it's 11 and one with, you know, two or three absolutely huge wins. Purdue or Wisconsin or both might end up being ranked, but they're going to be nine and three at best. Um, and that's it. You know, that's it for a resume. So I, I think, you know, SEC champs clearly going to get one. Big 10 champs going to get one. Um, whoever 12. emerges from the big 12 is going to, I think, like I, I'm, even though they don't, Oklahoma was ranked eighth, they're about to go into this. The big 12 is going to be fascinating down the stretch. Oklahoma plays, uh, you know, Baylor, uh, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, and then probably one of those in the conference title game. I, I feel the big 12 champ, assuming they're 12 and one or better, will be in the playoff. So Notre Dame kind of gets boxed out. So if Oklahoma, if Oklahoma goes down the stretch and they lose Bedlam, you know, which would be in Stillwater, and then they come back to win, so they would be 12 and one, but had lost in late November. Do you think Oklahoma uh, would be a, would have a really strong chance to get in the playoff at 12 and one then? I do. I mean, I, the, the reason the committee's down in Oklahoma right now is they don't have a single top 25 win. You know, they're, they're have, they've had a lot of scares, just like, I guess you could say Alabama and others have, but they haven't beaten a top 25 team. That's going to change down the stretch. And so in your scenario, you're saying they win two out of these three? Yeah, the, the problem for me on that a little bit when you look at it is if they, if they do do that and they lose to Oklahoma State, if they beat Baylor, Baylor's going to be a seven and three team. Baylor might not still be in the top 25. They would beat all Iowa State. Iowa State would then be a four loss team. They would definitely not be in the top 25. Um, so then you're looking at the rest of their whole schedule, and it may come down to, you know, losing to, you know, losing and winning if it, if it came to that, losing in, in Bedlam and winning in the Big 12 title game against Oklahoma State. I mean, they may only have one top 25 win at that point. I mean, I would assume that anybody that finishes with nine and three or better is going to be in the top 25 because it's already a bunch of three loss teams in there. 
whether eight and four Iowa state would be, I don't know, but um, I think that, well, well, first of all, I, I, I just think that um, I don't know if Oklahoma is the best team in the big 12. I don't know that we, we've barely talked at all about Oklahoma state. Um, they have largely taken care of business. Their one loss was to Baylor uh, close loss. They went to West Virginia and beat them 24 to three. Um, yeah. I mean, I couldn't sit here and tell you right now who's going to win Bedlam. Yeah. I mean, I would lean towards the Sooners just because they dominated that series. And I, you know, again, it's not probably fair to put it out this much, but they have just, you know, a lot of these games haven't been that close. So maybe this year will be different. It'll be in Stillwater. It's been in still. I remember doing the game in Stillwater where I thought it was going to be that way. And Oklahoma just whipped them. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, they have owned Oklahoma State over the years. And I mean, I'll just be interested to see what Oklahoma looks like coming off of bye week because we've been very critical of them this year. They've had issues all along the way, but they're undefeated. Caleb Williams is obviously going to be a huge superstar player going forward. If they could just get a little bit better on defense, I mean, they could, they, I can see them as a playoff team. I don't think they're that far away from being that. Um, they've just, I mean, the, the Kansas game to me was the really troubling one. You know, we were talking earlier about comparing a, a struggle against LSU to a struggle against Tulsa, uh, struggle, being down 10, nothing at halftime at Kansas is worse than any of it. Um, and that was, and that was with Caleb Williams. That's where it started to be like, okay, they've got problems, but, um, I've seen it before, you know, I've seen people wrote them. I remember they lost to Kansas state in the middle of the season a couple of years ago and everybody wrote them off and they, and they won out from there. Um, yeah, it, the, the thing is though, like if Oklahoma state wins out from here, they're going to the playoff. They would be on a hot streak. Um, but if Oklahoma loses, they're already down at number eight. If they lose, they're going to fall to like 12th and then they've got to move up eight spots. That's where Cincinnati would catch a break. I think like that could, that's where it could come down to undefeated Cincinnati against a 12 and one Oklahoma team that the committee as of last week, didn't think was better than Cincinnati. That might be, that might be Cincinnati's best path in is to hope that the fourth spot comes down to them against 12 and one Oklahoma. Uh, we shall see. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Let's talk about another coach who I wouldn't have guessed would be on the hot seat. Maybe he is, maybe he's not Jimmy Lake at Washington who has had, who had himself an interesting week, much like Mullen had himself an interesting week. Um, first of all, a little context. Jimmy Lake was Chris Peterson's handpicked successor. He was a renowned defensive coordinator, especially the way he would shut down 
even the best Mike Leach Washington State teams. Last year, they played four games. I don't know how you judge anything off of that, but they did go three and one, and there was a lot of excitement coming into this season. And then they lose to Montana in the first game, and their offense could not be worse and really never got any better. They had gotten themselves to the point of being four and four. And then we get into the, to the big rivalry week against Oregon. And Jimmy Lake makes one of the weirder rivalry week comments I've ever heard when asked about the recruiting rivalry with Oregon says there isn't one because they don't usually compete against Oregon for recruits. They recruit against more quote academically prowess schools like Stanford and Notre Dame, which, you know, Christian Capewire Washington writer looked it up and that's just not true. They by far the team they recruit against the most is Oregon. Okay. Fair enough. Rivalry week, weird comment. Well, they lost to Oregon and not only did they lose to Oregon, there was a moment in the game when things were getting a little uh, heated uh, between the Washington Oregon players. Jimmy Lake went in to, to, to break it up and appeared to either, however you want to use the definition, punch or slap one of his players through the face mask and push him away. Uh, some people will look at that and say, ah, it's football. Some people will say that's really troubling. It was troubling enough that Jen Co and the AD put out a statement afterward that they were gathering more information about it. And then, of course, Mario Cristobal, um, <laughs> he knew he was going to uh, rejoice in that result. And it was Kayvon Thibodeau's own Instagram live feed, right, from the locker room, where we heard, uh, where we got to, we had to find out that uh, in the locker room after the game, and look, I'm sure there's speeches like this, all the speeches, comments like this all the time. But just to give you a little sense of where things are, Cristobal told his team, quote, those fucking guys right there, they represent everything that's wrong with football. So when you kick their ass, you let them know it. I just feel like this was this whole week was a complete face palm for Jimmy Lake. And uh, I don't know what's going to happen there. I think first thing is Jen Cohen will try to sort out what happened in that sideline incident. What, you know, I mean, from the video I saw, it's like it's a little open to interpretation. Was he shoving his guy back or did he? Or did he hit him in the face? What, you know, what, you know, what was that? Um, I think they have to start there. Some of the other things I think are, are issues that you and I have talked about, you know, this year is made very underwhelming coordinator hire on the offensive side of the ball. That is, that is playing out how you and I probably thought it was going to play out. It has not been a great move on top of that. I think we've seen some times where Jimmy Lake has stepped in it with some of his comments, certainly this week is one that blew up in his face, you know, taking a step back from it, just from my time around Jimmy Lake as a sideline reporter and observing guys when they talk to their players in the heat of the game, the, the juxtaposition of Jimmy Lake, the guy I saw there compared to the guy who we're seeing now as the head coach could not be more opposite in this regard. Jimmy Lake had a rapport with his players and a command and a way to get through on the sideline in the heat of the moment where he would get the defense together. That was really impressive. Like that was like, a, if you were around it, you'd be like, okay, that's a dude, you know, like you could really kind of see it and feel it. And for whatever reason, um, you know, some of these decisions in the, you know, like that are not on the fly that are, you know, that you think, you know, those other things are in the heat of the moment. This is not, um, 
it's not working out. And again, I don't, that doesn't mean that if he, if, because I didn't think that he was in serious jeopardy of getting, you know, getting run out of there after just two years, especially when one of them happened in a pandemic. I didn't, I don't think that's something Jen Cohen would, would want to do or the school would want to do. Now, this other incident that happened in this game, I think that's, that brings it into a different place. If, if they find that it, it does in fact, um, turn into a, turn into a, a, some kind of player abuse situation. So things have gotten, I don't think it's going to come back as that. I don't, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's one of those things that if you're already down on the coach, it just adds to the fodder. Um, you know, that that's what this week felt like to me for, he actually just come off the last second win over Stanford. Um, they, it's like they were some huge underdog to Oregon. Um, Oregon controlled the game. It was a little sloppy, but Oregon, Oregon ran for what? 350 on them uh, again. I mean, that's supposed to be Washington's strength is they can stop the run. So um, I don't think they're going to make a bowl this year, uh, which is a pretty steep decline from where they were under Chris Peterson. Yes. Can I bring up one more um, uh, pack 12? Uh, what, what's gone wrong with that situation? Okay, can it not be so, Cal though? No, that not not Cal. Uh, but congratulations to Arizona on breaking that twenty game losing streak. No, the team in my backyard, Stanford. Um, I don't know if probably hardly anybody on this watched the game late Friday night, but Utah beat them fifty two to seven, and the first half was as lopsided statistically as you're ever going to see a half. Utah ended up running for four hundred and forty one yards on them. Uh, Tanner McKee quarter, their quarterback was hurt and not available. And Jack West, anytime he's had to actually play has been pretty much completely ineffective. But the bigger story here is that Stanford, which after they beat Oregon, you thought, Oh, okay. They're getting it together has lost four straight. They're three and six. They're going to have their second losing season in three years. To be clear, David Shaw is not on any sort of hot seat. He has lifetime job security, but he's going to have to make some staff coaching staff changes, which he has never had to do. He's never fired any of his assistants. His OC to Vita Pritchard was the quarterback at Stanford when they uh, beat 41 point favorite USC and their DC Lance Anderson was on Jim Harbaugh's first staff with Shaw. It's frankly hard for me to imagine him parting with either guy, but come on. I mean, this program um, has gone in a, a really wrong direction over the last few years. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of, you look at it and you say, man, on some level, they've still recruited pretty well, but it just like, they have some of the, this was as bad a performance. Like I was looking forward to watching that game the other night. I was like, Oh, this could be interesting. And within five minutes, you were like, they can't stop Utah. It's like, they could have 13 guys on the field. I'm not sure they could have stopped Utah. I mean, the talent has, has fallen off, you know, and they, they have had some really impressive recruiting classes over the years there. They have put a lot of guys into the NFL. Um, Davis Mills is the starting quarterback in the NFL right now. They actually had, see, Walker Little, Davis Mills, and Paulson Adebo and Drew Dahlman all went in the first four rounds last year. Um, wasn't long ago that they had Bryce Love, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. But I look at them now and I see Thomas Booker is really good, the defensive end, um, and, and that's about it. Uh, it's not, they're not teaming with talent anymore. And so something's clearly gone wrong in recruiting. 
they're 11 and 16 in the past three years, and they're not in like a very tough division relative to the rest of power five. And the PAC 12 North is basically Oregon, who's, who is very good. Washington, who has been backsliding. Uh, Oregon State, who's okay. Cal, who's not very good. Washington State, who's honestly not that good. I mean, to be that, uh, you know, that far under 500, and it's it's really pretty amazing considering where that program was in the first couple of years after he took uh, took over from Jim Harbaugh. But since about 2016, it has backslid and continued to get further and further uh, into like a malaise. Well, I'll be interested to see how he what he's going to do to address that if he's going to do anything to address it. He I actually asked him. Uh, this would have been coming off 2019. They had that four and eight year, why he didn't make any changes. And he basically said he thinks guys that fire assistant coaches after a bad season are just making them scapegoats that, you know, if I believed in these guys, I believed in these guys before, why wouldn't I believe in them to help fix it? Uh, I don't know whether he'll still feel that way. As always send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com. We will answer them in the next episode. Let's do anything else. That's all I got, Bruce. Uh, Will everybody watch Tuesday night and get infuriated all over again? And we'll see you next time. (music) 